What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. This is episode number 26, and we are joined by a new San Francisco Giants infielder, drafted by the Cubs in the 16th round of 2014. He's been with the Padres organization and now recently signed a big league deal with the San Francisco Giants. It is Jason Vossler. Jason, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to pleasure to have you for sure. So again, congrats on signing with the Giants. Um, so explain to me how that process kind of unfolded this uh, this past week. Yeah, so um, I guess it was like two weeks ago. It was Monday a couple weeks ago and uh, free agency opened up. Um, I had spoken to my agent beforehand about what to expect. And, um, you know, we weren't positive. Uh, we thought it was a possibility I could get a major league deal somewhere. Um, possibility of minor league deal other places and um, you know free agency opened up and right away the Giants were were definitely the most aggressive out of all the teams that called um, what I mean by that just that what when they were calling the information they were giving us was um, very specific you know how much they wanted me how how much they watched me play over the years and um, you know they just seemed like they were really into me and that, that meant a lot uh, coming from them you know it just seemed like compared to the other teams they had more of a plan for me going forward mm -hmm. so you're a guy who you know you've grinded through the minor leagues didn't appear in a big league game last season were you shocked because I, I know you kind of mentioned this were you shocked that that it was a big league deal um I don't know if shocks are right word. like I said my agent definitely said it was a possibility so it was it was in my head um definitely definitely happy <laughs> definitely um where, where I wanted to be for sure. I wouldn't know if shocked is the right word because I was a little bit prepared for it. For sure. So I know general manager Scott Harris was in Chicago when you were there. What's your relationship with him and, and did that impact the signing at all? Um, I haven't talked to him directly since I've signed. Uh, he's talked to my agent a bunch. Um, I knew him when we were in Chicago, but again, I was, uh, you know, low down on the totem pole. So I didn't deal with any of the front office all that much. Um, but, you know, I'm sure he was familiar with me as a player and I'm sure that helped a little bit. But, yeah, I haven't I haven't talked to him since the signing. So I know there's a lot of time between now and in April or late March. But be honest here. Have you had an opportunity to maybe circle a few dates on the calendar for an opening day or something? Or is that just kind of too far, too far away for you? Uh, it's definitely a little far away. I mean, right kind of when I uh, when I signed, I kind of set my sights towards moving out to uh, Scottsdale for, for spring training. That's kind of what I'm looking forward to now. I um, think I'm going <clears> to <throat> get down there pretty early, thinking right after the new year or so, and get to work with some of the coaches out there in the warm weather, especially being from New York. It's nice to get out on a field in January and start, you know, getting going a little bit. So uh, I would say that's kind of all I'm um, really focused on right now is you know focus on my training and then focus on getting to that January 1st January 2nd date or so getting out to Scottsdale and I think once I get out there then you know the opening days will be a little bit clearer and then again with you know with COVID and stuff you don't know exactly what's going on and I don't think anybody really knows but hopefully we're moving towards a solution there and then and then again then I'll start circling some dates for sure. <laughs> So you've probably had a chance to kind of analyze the situation of the team and analyze the Giants. What are your expectations or maybe reasons to get excited for this group of players heading into 2020, 2021, I should say. Yeah, it almost feels like a lost year, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at the team, like just from my standpoint, I'm a baseball fan. Um, you know, I follow all the teams and you look at a lot of guys that not necessarily surprising years, but, you know, guys like Shremsky, who's, you know, again, grinded through the minor leagues, finally gets a shot and he explodes and he's an all-star type player. You know, Alex Dickerson, who's a former teammate of mine, another player like that. So it seems like, um, and then obviously you have, you know, the stars and the guys who have done it for a long time, you know, Longoria, Bell, Crawford, Posey, and, um, you know, guys like that to kind of teach some of the younger guys. So I, I think it's a really exciting group when you have that kind of mixture of veteran leadership and younger or newer guys to the big leagues because you kind of got both to balance it out and some of the older guys to help the younger guys, et cetera. So you played with Dick, and I got I to gotta ask you this because this guy – it seems like he's a very, I don't know him at all, but he seems like he's a very colorful personality. There's a lot of people say that he's the funniest guy in that clubhouse. We saw him try and get um, target the cardboard fans whenever there'd be a ball go, uh, that would go down the left field line. So he'd had fun with the cardboard fans. What is Dickerson like? I mean, can you give us a, a personal perspective of who Alex Dickerson is? Yeah. I mean, you got a pretty good, uh, for having not met him, you got a pretty good, um, what do you want to say? Read on him. He, uh, Quirky a little bit too. <laughs> yeah, very, very dry sense of humor, but absolutely hilarious. Um, I only played with him for, you know, about a month or two in spring training and then a month or two during the season. So I figured three or four months. And I mean, he is definitely the funniest guy in the room in every room he steps in. Great, great person too all around. But yeah, he definitely, definitely has fun in the baseball field and he definitely enjoys keeping it light and making everybody laugh. But definitely a dry sense of humor for sure. Yeah, and a guy from the San Diego area as well. So you played everywhere in college. Uh, you've played the bulk of your minor league innings at third base, but you've also played some first base, some second base, some shortstop. I know you played some short in college. This is a team that that moves guys around a lot. Is there something that maybe – is that something maybe you're looking forward to, is getting the chance to kind of be everywhere? Is, is that fun to you, or do you want to stick with kind of one certain position? No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm ready to do whatever, whatever's asked of me. Um, I think it's nice having a little bit of experience kind of, kind of everywhere. And even a little bit at the alternate site this past year, I got some outfield work in for the first time. So, so that was good to learn, um, learn a bit of an outfield too. But I mean, as far as, um, you know, playing different positions, I, I'll kind of do whatever they want. If they want me to stick at one spot, that's fine with me. And if they want me to be that utility type player, that's, that's great too. It, it's really Whatever, whatever the team needs, whatever way I can help impact the team in the best way is completely cool with me. Yeah, the uh, alternative training site. Let's get let's get into that because that was very interesting. We didn't hear anything about it. Like it was very close. Like I don't think I've seen any footage from the Giants alternate training site in Sacramento at all. So it was very secretive. So what was kind of your routine for the alternate training site? What were some of the activities they had you doing? I know you mentioned that they had you working out in the outfield. Tell me a little bit about the alternate training site. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of um, similar to like a spring training instructional league type schedule. Um, it was for us anyway, it was it was the morning. So not too early, you know, we're getting up at 7, 730 and we're getting to the field at eight or so. You know, we do our COVID tests or, you know, questionnaire and fever checks, all that kind of stuff. And then it was, you know, early work followed by some batting practice, maybe um, some individual type one-on-one -on -one infield or outfield work, 
um, you do some base running and then you would do a scrimmage at around noon. But that was when it got a little weird because you only had, I was like, I guess 30 guys over there, 25 guys. And, you know, sometimes just the way the numbers worked out, you might have 15 pitchers and only 10 position players. So you're pretty much doing a five on five scrimmage. So there was good parts and bad parts about that. The bad part is that you obviously don't get the real feel of a true game. It definitely always felt like a scrimmage, but the good part was you got a ton of at bats. You got to play multiple positions because there wasn't people filling in all the spots. So, you know, my typical day, if we were playing a simulated five inning scrimmage, I would go like an inning at third an inning at second an inning at first, maybe an inning at left or right, you know, just to kind of, learn everywhere and sharpen my skills at every position but also just to you know at that time show the the Padres like hey listen I can play all these spots if if you need it so you know it was definitely a good um like learning experience like you got a lot of work in um, and you know I probably I don't know the exact numbers but I would probably say I got into the 200s at bats maybe even 300 which you know is not quite a full season but as far as COVID knocking off half the season it was I mean pretty pretty close which you know it kind of saved the not a lot especially with the minor leagues being canceled it's kind of a lost season for a lot of guys and I was able to get whatever amount of at bats which which helped a ton. Did you own any of the guys down there did you feel like because because I know you faced guys probably multiple times was there any ownage involved? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that was definitely one of the things where you're, you're facing I mean sometimes you got to start on the mound who has to throw six innings and you're getting six at bats off off the starter and what seems like 30 minutes. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't, I don't think I owned anybody specifically. If I did, I don't know if I want to name them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it, it was cool too, because, you know, it was a little bit, obviously you're competing to try to move up and get, you know, make it to the big leagues, but you're also with your buddies. So it's, it's a lot of fun just facing your teammates like that. So you might be able to say it now, but I have to ask it. How happy were you? Maybe not happy, but how kind of glad were you to take this this spot, this this deal in San Francisco and get out of San Diego where you were completely blocked? I mean, you had the left side of the infield that was, you know, three and four in, in MVP voting. You had a rookie of the year candidate in Cronenworth at second. You had a guy who's, you know, who's signed a, a big long-term deal in Hosmer at first. It was packed in the infield. So what is this opportunity? Does that, does this opportunity kind of make you feel a little bit better about your situation? Yeah. You know, I, I think the biggest thing for me is, um, yeah. And, that, and that's kind of the luck of the draw in some sense, right. Where, you know, you don't always want to look at who's ahead of you. You just figure that if you play your game, you'll find a spot. And, um, you know, unfortunately that didn't happen in San Diego, but um, yeah, that's kind of the theme from what I got with the giants. It's when I talk to them, it's like, okay, yeah, there is, you know, a, a person or Longoria third, Crawford at short, and so on, belt at first. And those guys aren't going anywhere right now. But what they kind of relayed to me was that if you play up to your potential and what we think you could play, we'll find a way to get you at bats at the big league level. And, that, and that's kind of all you want to hear is <clears throat> you want to just hear that the organization believes in you and that you will get an opportunity if you play up to what they believe you could play to. Chicago too to be honest I mean you came up when all those all those big prospects were coming up yeah. uh, so that's kind that, of interesting on that um, same on that same note it was a lot of great people to learn learn from I mean standing at third base with Manny Machado you know one of the better defensive players in the league he offers a lot of advice 
advice. Same with first at Hosmer. And, you know, you go back to Chicago, standing at third base in spring training with Chris Bryant or first with Anthony Rizzo. I mean, you can't really pick four better guys to learn from. So that's a huge, you know, not advantage, but a huge opportunity for me in my career was just being able to be around those guys and, and learning from them. Yeah, and it's taking a, it's taking a positive out of maybe a not-so-positive situation, so I like it. Uh, so let's get into your minor league career. I mentioned you were drafted by the Cubs. One thing I noticed when I was looking at your, your baseball reference page was in 2016, you hit just three homers, and then in 2017, you hit 21 with 26 more at-bats. So what were the adjustments that you kind of made, um, if there were any, because I know – it's it's really the 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 long ball kind of uh, era now. We see launch angle, we see exit velocity. What were some of the adjustments you made from sixteen to seventeen? Yeah, no, that's that's kind of yeah. So after that year, I, I definitely I looked myself in the mirror, kind of like, hey, this. I think I was two fifty or two forty or so with three home runs. I'm like, all right, this isn't this isn't going to cut it. Like you got to make a change. You know, it's not just about you know getting stronger or something like that. Like you need a swing change and. Around that time, I was um, I was rooming. It was 2016. I was rooming with uh, Ian Happ of the Cubs, and he was very big into. I don't want to call it launch angle hitting because that's not what he would describe it as, not what I would describe it as. But just kind of learning from a lot of these outside hitting coaches, whether it be on Twitter or Instagram, and just kind of seeing what they were seeing in a lot of these successful major leaguer swings. And so we were kind of studying that, talking to some people. And when I went home that off season, I kind of just revamped my swing in a way not necessarily major changes but uh they they definitely paid off um just just little tweaks here and there and just little things not trying to settle for you know a hard ground ball at the shortstop it's like no we want a hard line drive in the gap even in batting practice so I, th I think those just little things here and there and the tweaks they made a huge difference and you know they continued to make a difference I feel like I've made improvements year to year and that's kind of what I'm looking for and it was around the same time you started reading these articles of, you know, J.D. Martinez changing his swing and Justin Turner and guys like that. So we really started looking at those videos and what they were doing before and after and just kind of being our own, um, like, students of the game in, in that sense where we were help, getting help from a lot of these outside hitting coaches and hitting coaches in the organization, but also studying a lot of video, too. Yeah, and you got some of the new school guys here in San Francisco with Justin Veal and Donnie Ecker yeah. and Dustin Lynn. So, well, and I know Brandon Crawford. Oh, go ahead. Just a, just a quick side note on it. Funny enough, and I told I told Dustin this, but one of the things that me and or me specifically, I used to use a hitting resource that Dustin Lynn set up on Twitter back in the day. He had a a resource of like tons of major league hitters going back way back. You know, there's videos of Babe Ruth in there. And you could just like type in any hitter you wanted to watch. And he had like 40 videos ready to go on this like Google doc. It was awesome. So I'm very excited with the, the group they have in San Francisco. I'm excited to work with them. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know if you know, uh, you mentioned you were going down some and browsing some Instagram uh, hitting coaches. I don't know. I had Matt Lyle on, uh, on the, uh, on the show very oh, yeah, early yeah. on. So I've seen him. Uh, he had some really good insight on, on hitting and he's a Bay area guy. So oh. are you familiar with Matt? I'm familiar with his Twitter account. I never spoke to him or anything, but uh, definitely back in 2016, 2017, I was definitely on his, uh, I, I definitely followed him at some point. I'm not sure if I still do. I haven't seen him in a while, but um, yeah, definitely, definitely took some stuff from him too. I, we were taking it from everywhere. <laughs> yeah. He's got a lot of good stuff on his page. How much do you look, how much do you track like 
track the literal numbers of exit velocity and and um, launch angle. Is that something you're focused on, or are you just focused on, you know, getting more elevated with the swing? And what are some of your are you a complete numbers guy, or are you just kind of a, a blend of both? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not so much a numbers guy at all, really. I, I like looking at the numbers, um, but I don't like chasing them, if that makes sense. Like, I, I mean, yeah. in my, my opinion, like I could sit in a cage and kind of know, okay, that's a line drive, that's a fly ball, or I hit that one hard, I didn't hit that one hard. Sometimes when I get, when I'm too aware of being, you know, whether it's a radar gun behind me trying to see how hard I'm hitting it, sometimes when I'm too aware of that, it throws my mechanics a little bit off because I try to do too much almost. So when I'm in a cage setting, I don't really like being aware of the numbers because I kind of, for the most part, they're telling me something I pretty much know. Now, if you get into like, I know they have, I've used them a couple times, like the bat sensors on the bottom of the bat, and those tell a lot more than just launch angle and exit velocity. That's something I'm definitely interested in learning more about but I haven't gotten like a great explanation of the numbers. So I'm hoping maybe the guys in San Francisco know a little bit more about that than me and can help me out with that. But I don't, I don't want to just, you know, read something online and then base everything on what that's saying about the numbers. I'd rather have an expert explain it to me. Yeah. One of the, the Carlos Correa commercials with the thing yeah, at the yeah. bottom of the bat. Yeah. yeah. Um, I forget what it's called, but I oh, have seen those before. Last month. I think is one of them anyway. There it is. Yeah, blast. Uh, So those are interesting. Yeah. Um, So let's get into kind of you, your upbringing, growing up in the New Jersey, New York area. Were you a Yankee guy or a Met guy? Because I know that's very dividing. I know this answer could be dividing. Um, (laughs) Yankee guy or Met guy? I I was a huge Yankee guy. Um, You know, I'm probably only 30 minutes for when I grew up, I was only 30 minutes from the stadium. my dad's company that he worked for actually had like season tickets there and they knew I was a huge fan. So anytime they weren't being used, they handed them off to us and we got to go to a ton of games growing up. So that was awesome for me. Awesome. <laughs> so who was your guy? Who's your favorite, favorite player that you watched? Oh, Derek Jeter. Yeah. I mean, you ask, I don't know if you ask a hundred kids around here, my age, who was their favorite player growing up Bet you 99 are going to say Jeter. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I, I got so I got a Jeter picture up here right above my finger, and I have a collection of Jeter's all of his newspapers right here. Oh man, um, some of his fa- uh, famous plays. Three thousand is in there. Oh, oh. So Those. it's not opened. It will never be opened. Um, <laughs> so that's I, I didn't even know you were gonna say it. it's just sitting there. So <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, I went um, to his uh, his three thousand pick game was probably still the best game. I've ever been to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yankees, cool. Yankees raise. David yep. Price was the one that served it up. And now yep. he's across, he's a, he's across the rivalry in LA. So yeah. have fun with that. <laughs> um, so, and this was a question that, cause I opened questions up on social media. Somebody asked, is there a past or present big leaguer that is very similar to you? Who would it be? And who have you been kind of compared to the most? Um, well, I would say like growing up, I definitely like modeled my game after Jeter. I think that's kind of true of everybody who grew up around here. Um, but I wouldn't say I really play like him now, meaning like he just, you know, he's more of a shortstop. I'm more of a corner infielder and, uh, just, I I just think we're different type players, but I definitely grew up modeling my game after him. I think recently with all like, 
you know, when I made some swing changes and continue to do so, I, I don't really look at one guy. I, I really look at a ton of different people. So I wouldn't say there's anybody I model my game off of specifically. It's probably been a combination of about 200, 300 different guys. Um, I get Max Muncy a lot for comparison. Um, I think that's, I think that's more to do just being a mostly corner infielder and a guy who didn't debut till late. Um, I wouldn't really say anybody really like says that to my face, really. I, I just read that sometimes and I, I see an article about me or something and be like, oh, he's a Max Muncy type or something like that. He's the only guy that really comes to mind. Well, that would be uh, pretty awesome if you are a Max Muncy type. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that, that would be pretty cool. But um, here's another question. This one's from Ethan Castle. Um, he wants to know, do you have any good stories from El Paso? It seems like a classic minor league city with some wacky adventures. So do you have any El Paso stories? I can't think of one specific. I just know that that was, as far as a minor league place that like stadium, I mean, that place is packed every night, beautiful stadium. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, just like absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. I wish I, wish I had a specific story. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, the minor leagues, I always hear um, some, some wacky stories in the minor leagues guys. Who yeah. are you? Do you have any notable roommates? I guess that's a good, good question. Uh, well, Ian Happ, I lived with him in, in Myrtle Beach in 2016. Um, David Bodie was my roommate for a while, too, of the Cubs. Uh, we lived together in the Fall League and multiple minor leagues. Eh, maybe like, I think we lived together for a little bit in 2017 and then 2017 Fall League. Uh, I guess that's it for notable. I, mean, uh, <laughs> I don't want to have you sh uh, shade anybody. So. No, no, no uh, not shade kind of think of guys who you know are having success in the big leagues right now who I yeah. roomed with those are the only two that are in the big leagues right now that I roomed with that I could think of anyway it's always interesting to figure out like who's hanging out. I had Chris Shaw on here uh, and he okay. mentioned that he's he's hanging out with or he had a he had a house with with Steven Duggar Andrew Suarez uh, and I think Austin Slater and they all got called up and he was left there in Sacramento so <laughs> But he ended yeah. up getting called up. So Shaw, well, Shaw. Funny you, funny you brought up that story because now that I just think of it, my two roommates in El Paso at the start of the year were um, Josh Naylor, who's now with the Cleveland Indians. He had some like pretty good success with the Indians in the postseason there, and then um, Austin Allen, who was called mm -hmm. up with the or called up with the Padres and traded to the Oakland A's. So I was actually in a similar situation for a little bit, but then we filled the filled the apartment after that with other guys. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I I have a pitch. My pitching coach in high school, um, he was dropping names left and right. He was like, "Oh yeah, I was I was uh, roommates with Glassnow and Jamison Tyone," and uh, so he was dropping names left and right. He's a good guy. Awesome. Tom Harlan. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, all right. Sounds yeah, it might sound familiar. I don't know. He's he's been around the block. Um, so next question here from Matt Hartley. He wants to know what is the best ballpark food in your opinion? So this might, you know, go back, obviously you don't attend many professional games as a fan, but maybe rewind the clock a little bit. What was your go-to meal at the ballpark? I, I mean, to me, it's, it seems easy. It was a hot dog. Mm -hmm. Uh, definitely, definitely a hot dog. I mean, and I've, I've gone to, I mean, not this year, but I've always been able to make like one game a year, whether it was mid season on an off day or in September, late September home or something. I just got a. Well, 
some things on Zoom happen unexpectedly. Uh, so we're, we're hopefully going to get Jason back here. But yeah, hot dogs, I'm going to agree with him. I do think that hot dogs are the superior ballpark food snack. Um, all right, we're back. Um, and the so you mentioned that hot dogs are kind of the, the superior ballpark food, hands down. So my yeah. next question would be to kind of go on from that. When you're in the dugout, um, are you a gum guy? You seeds? You don't have to tell me if you dip. I don't need to know. <laughs> gum guy, seeds guy, what's kind of your go-to dugout snack per se? Uh, so I'm a seeds guy in the dugout, gum on the field. Mm. So I can't really – I don't – I don't like putting seeds in the pocket and trying to dig them out on the field. So I go gum on the field. And then when I'm in the dugout, just sitting around, if I'm not batting that inning or something, I have seeds 24 seven. I mean, I have always have a thing of seeds in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was always a gum guy. And I, I mean, I hate to keep pulling stuff out, but big league chew was always my go-to. Um, <laughs> but I was a PO in high school. So, you know, <laughs> POs, yeah, there's a lot of downtime. Honestly, it was the best job. Yeah. Ever. because it's just you pitch a few innings sit back down and maybe you run a few yeah. laps or whatever but it was a great great game it's and a nice routine for a starting pitcher too because you know what you're going to do on every off day and you know every fifth day you're going to pitch that's a good routine oh yeah it's it's great <laughs> I mean and then practice of course you got the fake position it could just depend yeah. somewhere my phantom position was second base so nice. uh, that's when when I could have time to dig out the seeds a little bit but <laughs> I was, I was generally a gum guy as well. Um, so final question here. This one's from Jeff Young, who also writes for uh, – he actually wrote a good piece on you the other day. Um, Jeff Young writes for the Around the Foghorn. He wants to know, and this is a weird, not related baseball question, what is the best Halloween candy? That one just came out of the blue, I know. The best Halloween candy? Um... I'm trying to think, is there a distinction between Halloween candy and my, like, is my favorite candy necessarily the best Halloween candy? Just go candy. Because whenever I think oh. of Halloween candy, I think of candy corn and how trash it is. So just Ooh. go on with, with straight up candy. Oh, candy corn. <laughs> you like candy corn? I love candy corn. How? It's not my favorite candy, but I love candy corn around Halloween for sure. <laughs> So I'm, uh, there's no in-between on that. There's no in-between on candy corn or no candy corn. It's either yeah. a, a very big yes or a very big no. Well, it's so, like uh, like those peeps on Easter. Do you know what those things are? The little marshmallow yeah. peeps. Like people either hate those or love those. Yeah. Um, favorite candy? I'm going to go with like a Snickers bar. That's a good one. That's a good but one. If I, but if I was going like Halloween candy, I, I always like those little nerds in that mini box. Mm-hmm. I always like that for Halloween. But if I'm if I'm at a gas station or something, and I need a I need a a candy or something like that, a little snack. I'm going with a Snickers for sure. Good answer. Good answer. I'll go with the Kit Kat. I think Kit Kat. That's a good one too. I like Kit Kats too. I like candy. yeah. There's a lot of good options. Sometimes I don't eat candy. Sometimes I do. It's usually yeah. very streaky. Um, so that's, <laughs> Me too. that's my candy thoughts there. Jason, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Um, and and best of luck to you with the Giants. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. All right, guys. You guys could subscribe. You guys could like. You guys could do whatever. If you're listening, subscribe, like, whatever options there are, do it. Thank you guys for listening and have a great, great day.